0: The title of our message today is The Truth About Tithing, Giving, and Prosperity. And I wanted to cover this in a study because there are so many people that talk about tithing, giving, and prosperity in the wrong way. They are, the Bible is very, very clear. That we are blessed by God, that Jesus wants to give us the abundant life, that God wants us to prosper, just not in the way that it's taught a lot of times, especially by the prosperity teachers. In our text, we see Jesus watching people giving in the temple to the treasury. And he sees a widow who in her poverty gives everything she has. And that's his comment. These men gave out of their resources, but she gave everything she had. The traditional teaching on this, and if you go back and look at my studies through Luke, you'll probably find me teaching on this, is that it doesn't matter how much you give. It matters what percentage you give and and those kind of things. But Jesus never says that. He doesn't say that in this text. We don't really know what his application is. But when you look at it in context, you find something that is really, really interesting. Giving prosperity in our day has been hijacked. By prosperity teachers who use greediness to enrich themselves. God wants you rich. God wants you driving a Cadillac or Corvette. And if you drive a Cadillac and a Corvette, there's nothing wrong with that, all right? If you don't have the means and you want to do it, there may be something wrong with it. It's called covetousness. But they have hijacked it. And God does want us blessed. Just not in that greedy way. God wants you to be blessed so you can bless other people around you. God wants to bless you so you can bless those around you who need to be blessed. Jesus said in John 10:10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan wants your life to look like. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus said, have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. We have a certain amount of time on this earth as a Christian, and God wants it to be abundant. He wants us to have an abundant life during that time. That doesn't mean you won't have difficulties. Jesus also said, in this world, you will have trouble. It doesn't mean you won't have dark periods or dark seasons in your life, but it does mean that you will have an abundance, the real, biblical, true abundance that God wants for us. There's a passage in Psalms 1 that talks about prosperity. Listen to what it says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly that is that we don't take the world's counsel and bring it into the church or bring it into our lives this is what's happening with progressive christianity today they're taking the the values of our culture and they're bringing them into the church and telling you to follow your heart the bible says trust in the lord with all of your heart progressive christianity says Follow your own heart. It will tell you what's right or wrong. Your own heart will tell you what's wrong. We can only find the truth by trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. And we are foolish and not blessed if we follow the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or set in the seat of the scornful, it says. But the delight of the blessed person is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. The key is that we get God's word in us. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. We learn God's word. We know it. We love it. It is alive. It's active. It doesn't return back void. We are blessed when we do it and not just hear it. So you meditate on the word of God day and night, and then you will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Think of some place where there's a river and there's trees that are planted by it that are strong. That people come and sit down and have picnics in the shade. That's the kind of tree that God wants to make your life into. It brings forth fruit in its season. And fruit blesses people. Fruit also reproduces. A fruit drops off a tree. It's got a seed in it or seeds in it. And the fruit kind of gives it fertilizer to be able to start. So there are other trees planted by the rivers of water. And when you are like a tree planted by the rivers of water, you help other people to become trees planted by the rivers of water because you become that example of someone who's prospering the right way. And fruit's also a blessing. I grew up in Albuquerque. Albuquerque has a great climate for cherries and apples. And we walked to school a mile in the snow, both ways. <laughs> That's really true sometimes, all right? Albuquerque is a mile high, and there was a lot of snow there. Not much different than Tucson, but in that way it is. But um, there was often apple trees and cherry trees, we knew where they were and we would go eat them on the way to school. I probably should say steal them is what we were doing, but um, everybody did it. So it was a blessing. The fruit trees were there and they were a blessing. God wants you, and this is going to be key for our study. God wants to bless you so you can bless others by the fruit that he supplies in your life. That's our goal as Christians Not to live greedy lives, not to live narcissistic lives, not to be all about ourselves, but to be about being blessed by God so there's a fruit that's produced so others are blessed by it. It also goes on to say, whose leaf will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That God wants you like a tree planted by the rivers of water, meditating on his word, so that what you are doing will prosper. The thief wants to kill, steal, and destroy. God wants to bless your life, and he wants to make your life successful just in a different successful than the books about how to live a successful life are telling you what success is. Success in the Christian life has a different standard. And we're going to see that. Prospering isn't just having a big house and a nice car and making a lot of money. Prospering is a lot of different, real, profound things that I want to show you today. Now, how do I get this out of this passage of Jesus watching a woman give in, um, in the treasury? First of all, the treasury was supposed to go and help the poor. They gave to the treasury, and out of the treasury, the poor were supposed to be helped. Now, right away, if you're good with irony, you'll see it. A poor widow, out of her poverty, gives to the treasury to help poor people. There never should have been a poor widow to put her two mites Into the treasury. Earlier, right in front of this. Context can often open up passages to you. And right before this, one of the last things Jesus says is he's rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says to them, you love to be called rabbi in the marketplace. You love the best seats in the synagogues. And you devour widows' homes. And you will be condemned for it. Yours is the greater condemnation, he says, because they devoured widows' homes. It's no surprise. The last thing he says is you devour widows' homes and your condemnation is great for it. And then we see a widow going to the treasury. It's not about lessons about giving or how you give. He is watching how they give. But it's the fact that there never should have been a widow in poverty in Israel. These men had misused. What God had provided to help the weak and the poor to enrich themselves. And that's exactly what happens today with the prosperity teachers. And I am not going to go on and on about them today. So some of you online going, here he goes again. Just, I'm not going to go on and on. But I do want to say, the majority of people that give to their ministries are poorer. They are buying hook, line, and sinker. You give your seed gift. And you're going to get rich. God wants you rich. And the way you get rich is by giving to me. And they take their money. One of them brags about being a billionaire. And if he is, I'm not sure he is, by the way. I don't know that I believe him. I'm a billionaire. I'm a billionaire. Why wouldn't I be a billionaire? I'm a king's kid. Really, you're a billionaire. And did you get that on the backs of the poor? Did you get it by telling people they'd become rich if they gave to you? So you went and you bought your 15,000 square foot house on a lake and that's your second or third house. And you somehow think it's okay. You somehow think there won't be greater condemnation that will come from that. Now, when we look at that in the extreme and we see that it's wrong, we also got to look back at what we're doing and ask if God wants to bless us so we can bless other people and that we would never take advantage of the poor. We would never take advantage of the weak. So let's take a look at this text it says in Luke 21 1 through 4 and he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury in the Greek it strongly says he looked at the way they give He wasn't just put it in there he watched how these rich came up how did these guys get rich did they take advantage of 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 workers. How did they get rich? And they're going, sounding trumpets, Jesus said, in another place before they give. And they're giving in such a way that people can see how much they give and people are applauding them. Oh, you're such a good person. You give so much money. And when he saw a certain poor widow, note the word poor, putting in two mites, the widow's mite, he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow, the word poor again, he saw the poor widow. He said, this poor widow has put in more than them all, for these out of their abundance have put in offerings to God. But she out of her poverty, poor, poor poverty, has put in all of her livelihood. This is all she had to live on. Those other guys didn't put in. What did she do? Did she go home and not have food? It's her very livelihood that she put in to the box. It never should have been in Israel that a widow would have put in her livelihood. But they had devoured their homes for their own wealth. And it is a despicable act to be done. And I think I'm not saying that God didn't bless this widow. I'm not saying that God didn't provide for her. We don't, we're not told anything that happened. We don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying that God isn't saying to us that, that we're to give. I just think this is the wrong verse to get it from. This is about an outrage of the way. Jesus is about to die for the sins of mankind. And the very church that is supposed to, or the very organization, the temple at this point that is supposed to take care of the poor is devouring the houses of the poor. And thus the irony of this that comes up afterwards. There are different standards for giving. Percentages do count. I'm just not saying it's the main theme of this text. This text is there to help us understand that we are supposed to help the weak. So here's what I would like to do for the remainder of the study. <clears throat> I want to show you through a series of passages that God wants to bless you so you can bless people around you. That God wants to bless you so you can be generous. God wants to bless you so you can do good works towards those around you. God is gracious towards you. And when you give, we'll give back to you so you can be generous. And the people that are going to benefit when we get a hold of this is not us being a billionaire or buying five planes or having a five, 15,000 square foot house, but the people that we're able to bless because God gives to us to bless people that are around us. So I want to do this, first of all, by looking at what Jesus tells us about giving. Then I want to look at what the Proverbs tell us about giving. Then I want to look at what the epistles, these are the letters written in the New Testament, tell us about giving. And I hope that this is inspirational to you. And by the tone of this, I hope you clearly understand, I'm not asking you to give anything to the church. This has nothing to do with ministries. This study has nothing to do with giving to ministries. It has how we bless the weaker who are around us and whether or not we shut our eyes to the suffering and the sorrow and the pain that takes place around us. So Paul, first of all, I want Jesus. These are the things Jesus said about giving. So Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders on the the beach. He doesn't want to go to Ephesus, so he calls them there. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he literally weeps with them. Because he says, ravenous wolves are going to come in. And men are going to rise up from within you. They're going to draw people to themselves. And then he says this. I have shown you, this is Acts 20, 35. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this. Paul didn't enrich himself off of the Ephesians, even though he lived there for two years, taught daily in the school of Tyranius, But he worked as a tent maker when he lived among them. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. This is to the leaders of the church of Ephesus. You must support the weak. That is a call to every church that is around the world, no matter how large or how small, It is a call to support the weak. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God that you take care of orphans and widows. Orphans and widows were especially needy in their day because when the man died, the provision a lot of times was gone and all of the property belonged to the man and didn't belong to the woman. And so the women would be impoverished. We see in the early church when it's established that there were men who were chosen to take care of the widows. It's what the church did. They chose seven men to take care of the widows. An accusation had come that the Hellenistic women, there were, there were, there were Jews who were more Jewish and Jews who were more Greek because Hellenism had, had, had gone around the world. And so there was a complaint that the Hellenistic widows were, being, were not being cared for like the more Jewish women were. They're all Jewish, just Hellenistic Jews and kind of, I don't know, Jerusalem Jewish. I don't know how to make that distinction. But, so they chose, you could go back and read it. All seven of the names they choose are Greek names. So they chose, they were like, okay, you think the the Greeks aren't being treated fairly here? Let's choose some Greek Christians here to look over the widows. But we see it all the way through that the weak are to be supported. This is what the church is to do. When the opposite happens, we get the irony of a poor widow out of her poverty, putting money into the treasury. That's the irony. And the irony happens in churches when churches are enriched and the people that they could reach out and help are not being helped. And so he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, it is more, we, we don't have him saying it anywhere, but Paul quotes him. So we know Jesus said it. What a statement. Have you ever had someone give something to you in a time of need? Maybe it was a mom or a dad or a grandpa or a grandma. that came alongside of you, maybe a friend. knew you had a great need and they helped you I I had it one time I'd gotten myself into some trouble with the IRS I had a business and when I moved out when we moved out here to start the church we um, had a manager take over the business I thought let's run the business from afar great idea and somehow in the transition we were not paying the employee withholding tax until it was seventeen thousand dollars By the time that we found out and it ran its course, it was $56,000. This is in like 1990 when $56,000 was a lot more than $56,000 is today. And $56,000 is a lot today. My father-in-law came to me. We we didn't know what to do. We thought about filing bankruptcy, but we felt like it was wrong. We'd we'd made the debt. and, And I wasn't even sure that maybe some of you guys that know the IRS, whether you can file bankruptcy and dismiss the withholding taxes you've withheld from other people. If you think the IRS gets upset when you don't pay your taxes, wait till you withhold it from other people and then you don't pay it. They really get upset with that. And uh, my father-in-law called me up. He was an accountant that oversaw some estates. And he said, I can get you $20,000 in a cheap loan. You'll have to pay it back, but let's make an offer of compromise. The IRS had turned me down on an offer of compromise already. They had said, why would we do that when you're 32 years old and you have your whole earning life ahead of you? That's what they told me. And um, I got a letter from them that if I didn't step up my payments, I was paying them $500 a month, which was a lot of what I was making then. And they they sent me a letter saying, basically, I was going to go to jail if I didn't start paying more. And so with my father-in-law telling me that, I went down and I stood in line at the IRS down here, downtown Tucson. Stood in line, went up to the lady. She's sitting behind a desk and she's like, can I help you? And I'm like, I'm here. And she's like, Okay, what? I'm here. I'm, put me in jail. And I show her the letter. Because I can't pay anymore. So put me in jail. Because I, I can't pay anymore. And she goes, what's going on? And so I sat down. I told her that it had been, I'd been refused the, the offer of compromise for the money, that I had money secured. I could do it. She said, stay here. She went away. She came back 15 minutes later with the offer of compromise that we signed. I had so many days to submit the money. I got it from my father in law and submitted it. I cannot tell you how what he did lifted off of my shoulders was it it was freedom again because who knows how long we would have been bound it it took there were other bills with the business when we shut the business down it had other bills it took us a decade to get out from under all of that just faithfully you know chipping away at it paying everybody back in small amounts sometimes really small amounts because that's all we could afford to do but we paid it all back eventually and it was all due to my father-in-law being incredibly gracious saying to a guy that was in debt a lot I'm gonna give you a loan and not very high interest rate. You ever been blessed like that? Were you extremely blessed? Now Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. When you give, you are more blessed than the, be- the time that you were given something in great need and were blessed. It's pretty incredible. That's how God wants to work in our lives. And it's not, people use this verse so wrong it's not about, he, he's not, he's, he's. it's in the context of supporting the weak. He's not talking about giving to a ministry. He's not talking ministry saying, hey, look, we're, we're on a fundraiser and we need to raise this much money by this much time. And, and Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's not the context. The context is, I've showed you by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. Because Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's about supporting those who are in poverty, supporting those who are in need, supporting those who are, are weak, like this widow that gives to the treasury. Now, in Luke six thirty eight, Jesus says, and this has really no context. He's kind of just going from statement to statement to statement. And so he says this, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will people put into your bosom. Now, that portion... Is just a restatement of what Proverbs tells us about giving to the poor. We're gonna see that Proverbs says, when you give to the poor, God gives back to you. So Jesus kind of redoes what Proverbs says, and then he says this, and this is kind of new. For in the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now he didn't give us that to appeal to our greed. The more I give, the more I get. I wanna give more so I can get more. He gave it to us to appeal to our generosity that we would go, it's okay to be generous. I had a question yesterday afternoon. I do a Q&A on Saturdays and, and on Wednesdays on YouTube and Facebook. And I got a question. Is it okay to spend money on trivial things like getting my nails done instead of giving to a ministry? And my response was, I, by the way, with gals, is it trivial to get your nails done? I don't know if that's trivial for gals or not. I would probably think not. But... Um, My response to her was, yeah, go get your nails done. But be really generous with the girl that does your nails because she probably needs it. And you make her day by doing it. And now you're like Christ. God has given us all things to enjoy. So don't think that you can't spend the money in a way you enjoy it. You can, that's what God's given it to you for. But he wants us to be a blessing to those around us. And in the measure you give, it will be given back to you. In Luke 12, 33 and 34, Jesus said, sell what you have and give alms. The word alms literally means compassionate giving. It's connected to giving to those who are in need. And it's sacrificial because he says, sell what you have. Now, he's not saying, give more than you can afford. Despite what some preachers say about you digging deep, giving more than you can afford because God will handle it. Do not give more than you can afford. Get your life in order financially. Get out of debt. Make good decisions. Don't put depreciated items on a credit card. I want to do a whole teaching on the right way to handle money, the right way to get with money. If you put, if you, if you go out and buy two burgers for $50, and I wish I was joking about that price for two burgers, <laughs> but I'm not. You go buy two burgers for $50 and you put it on a credit card, And then you don't pay it off. I use a credit card to buy everything because I want the miles. But I pay the credit card off every month. I'm not doing it to get, you know, because I'm living out of my means. I'm doing it because I want the miles. I want to get that back from the credit card companies. I want to take that from them. (laughs) But you don't, you put a meal on it. And I'm not talking about you particularly, but I'm saying there's people in here to do. And then it's worth nothing. Talk about a depreciating item. Those burgers were 25 bucks and what can you get for them now? It's gone to waste. (laughs) I told you be better. It's not a pretty picture, but I told you be better. It's gone to waste. And so go buy hamburger meat, cook your burgers at home until you can afford to go out and buy your burger. Live within your means. It's very simple. And, and it's not saying, Jesus isn't saying, go and give even if you can't afford it. He's saying, sell what you have. Sacrificial giving. You've got something that, that you really like and you say, I really want to do this. I want to be a generous person, but I don't have anything to give. Then sell what you have. Take something that is sacrificial for you and sell it and then go and give. But this is not a dig, dig deeper, dig deeper and you know, give until it hurts. It's not that kind of nonsense. It's just simply Jesus saying, sell what you have and give compassionate giving. Alms. Provide for yourselves and notice what you get back from it. Provide for yourself money bags that do not grow old and treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches, no moth destroys and where your treasure is there will your heart be also. It's not prosperity here. It's prosperity in the eternal. And I'm not saying Jesus doesn't bless you now because he does when we give, he gives back to us so we can continue to do good works. I'm going to get to that passage here in a moment. The love of money is, uh, is destructive. I'm going to skip over that one because it's not Jesus saying it. Uh, Matthew 6, 1 through 4. And I just want to do verse 4 here. Jesus says, when you give, don't do your charitable deeds to be seen by people. But then he says this. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. For your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When we do it for the right reasons. Years ago, I'm watching Jimmy Swagger. Now, when I say years ago, I mean years ago. This is back in the 70s. I'm watching Jimmy Swagger. I'm a teenager. I hear Jimmy Swagger say, he's raising money on TV. And he says, it doesn't matter what your motives are. Well, all that matters is what you give. And even as a teenager, I'm a Christian. I'm like, all that matters is your motive. That's all that matters. The exact opposite of what he said. We're going to get to a passage that's going to tell us that. All that matters is why you are giving it. And if you are giving it to be seen, you might as well not give it. You might as well go out and buy something else for it. Because you're, you're not getting a reward for it if you're doing it just to be seen. So do it in secret. And your Father will reward you openly. Now money is a, is a great tool, but it's a horrible master. Money is neutral. Money's not good or evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, the Bible says. But that's the love of money. It's not the money that's the root of all kinds of evil, it's loving it. You cannot have it and have it to be the root of evil in your life if you love it. So Jesus said about money being our tool or a master, he said, "No one can serve two masters. For you will either hate one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. Mammon is a term for money and things. it's stuff, money and stuff, stuff money can buy. So he's saying, you' either going to love God or you're going to love stuff? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we end up checking our 401Ks or 503Bs or 624Cs (laughs) more than we end up interacting with our God. We check in on that more than we check in on with God. And it will tell you where your heart is. When God said, I'll take care of you. Now, let's take a look at what Proverbs says about the poor. And I told you that Jesus basically repackaged what the Proverbs tells us when he said if you give it will be given back to you so in Proverbs 19:17 it says he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what is given again all he's doing is saying it's okay to give to the poor god takes note of it when you help someone who's poor and god will pay you back in Proverbs 28:27 he says he who gives to the poor will not lack But he who hides his eyes will have many curses." Are we hiding our eyes from the poor? If we give to the poor, we won't lack. Proverbs also talks about being generous. And we're talking generous, we're not talking about generous to ministries. We're talking about living that generous lifestyle. What you're leaving the waitress who may be struggling financially greatly or the gal who does your nails or whatever it is, just being generous. It doesn't mean you've got to go overboard. It doesn't mean you got to go beyond what you can afford. It just means that you are as generous with someone as you possibly can be. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty five, the generous soul will be made rich. The soul will be made rich. This isn't the generous is going to have so much money because your God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. It's not that. Your soul will be made rich. It's more blessed to give than to receive. God's going to bless you when you're generous. And he who waters will himself be watered. Oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, sorry, wrong verse. I jumped one. He, uh, he, who, was gener- uh, he who has a generous I will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. And then Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. There is one who scatters and yet increases. There's a person that gives away and yet what he has increases. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. There's a person who is stingy and greedy and ends up in poverty because they love the money. He goes on to say the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will himself be watered. Let's talk about the epistles, what the epistles have to say about, and epistles are the letters in the New Testament that were written to churches. So this applies directly to us because we are a church and these letters were written to churches on how they conduct themselves. So in 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, it says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Nothing wrong with being rich. You don't have to give all your money away. You can enjoy it. You don't have to make excuses for why you buy something that you can afford. It's okay. You don't have to hide it. Don't flaunt it. You don't have to hide it. Don't be haughty, but you don't have to hide it. Nor to trust in the uncertainty of riches. Know that, you know, riches can make wings and fly away. But in the living God. You trust in the living God rather than the riches. Who's more trustworthy? Riches or the living God? Your, your riches could get eaten away by inflation pretty quick. Might, might be happening. It might be happening now. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And there it is. So if you're rich, God has given you richly everything to enjoy. So don't feel guilty about enjoying the riches that you have. It's okay. However, it says, let them do good. And we're going to return to this in a moment. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Ready to give, willing to share. God has blessed you to be rich. We're talking about the rich now. Command those who are rich. God has blessed you who are wealthy here to enjoy it, but that you could be rich in good works and help those who are in need. Many people who are wealthy do it. And there are those who don't. 1st Corinthians 9 6 and 8 says but this I say and this is the quintessential passage on giving in the New Testament this is how we're supposed to give and here's where I'm gonna talk about tithing for a moment but I say this he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully now that's just a summary of Proverbs again and what Jesus said in the measure you give the measure is gonna be back to you, give back to you and God didn't give us those passages to appeal to our greed but to appeal to our generosity God's not saying you give a bunch, you're going to get a bunch, so get rich. He's saying, I'll take care of you. It's okay. Be generous. Give that gal that does your nails a little bit more. Give the waitress a little bit more. Be generous. Be be like God. Then he says this, so let each one gives as he purposes in his heart. You determine how much you give. No preacher can tell you how much to give and we are not under the law and the law of tithing was under the law and the preachers that tell you you're robbing from God because you're not tithing are massively confused about the law. The Bible says if you want to keep one part of the law, you are indebted to keep the entire law and taxes were uh, tithing was the taxes for Israel that was living under a theocracy. God was the one running Israel. And they had to pay about 25% in taxes, which included the tithe, which went to the temple, which was 10%. Now, I realize that tithing was before the law. This is the argument they're going to use. Tithing was before the law. But it never says that they didn't get to choose to do it. Abraham tithed, not to, to Melchizedek. You show me where it says he had to. They'll say, well, Abraham gave 10 to Melchizedek. Therefore, you have to give 10. That's not good Bible study there. Because Abraham gave it, but... So what? He chose to. He chose to give. Doesn't say he had to. Doesn't say and Abraham felt compelled that he had to give a tithe, of a tenth of everything that he had to him. He just did it. So you could choose to do it. You could say, if you determine in your mind that you want to tithe, you can. Just don't let any preacher tell you, you have to tithe. And I'm going to show you why that's even worse. You determine in your mind what you're going to give. I also love this passage because they're collecting money for poor in Jerusalem. Paul believes they owe a debt to Jerusalem for the gospel going around the world to the church in Jerusalem. And so he is gathering money from the Gentile churches and taking it back to the poor in Jerusalem. And he says, you determine what you're going to give. You purpose in your heart what you're going to give, not grudgingly. If you're made to tithe, do you think you're going to be able to do that not grudgingly? If the preacher looks at you and says, you better give, you're you're a robber, you're a robber, 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 you're robbing God. You think you're going to not be grudging? I used to say when you're making out the check, you're like, oh, you kind of go, I got the check, you give it to them. But most of you don't do that. Some of you do. Most of you, it just comes out online. You put it in automatic and you get back the little email notice. Thank you for your gift. And you're like, thank you for your gift. You're welcome. <laughs> don't be grudging. Determine it. And if you are grudging, make it less. Because you're not supposed to be. Not grudgingly. And get this one. Or out of necessity. That tells us we're not under the tithe. Now, Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, you tithe your mint and cumin, but you, you, you don't, do musters, uh, don't do justice and mercy. I was switching the M with the J. Uh, don't do, but you don't do justice and mercy. And then he says this, you should have done the latter and done the former. So then they go, well, see, Jesus told them to tithe. He told the scribes and Pharisees to tithe, and therefore you're supposed to tithe. They were under the law. <laughs> Jesus was born under the law, it says in the book of Galatians. And they were under the law, so they had to tithe. And yes, it was right for him to tell scribes and Pharisees, tithe, go ahead, do it, you should do it. But also have justice and mercy, which was the problem. They didn't have that. It's not telling us that we should somehow give because we have to. Not out of necessity. And so if you've allowed someone to lay a heavy trip on you, you have to tithe, and now you feel, i got to do it. You know, you're supposed to do it. And I've met Christians who are very proud of it. More, most people don't tithe, but I tithe because God said I have to tithe and I'm not robbing God. Well, that's all right. I'm glad you're tithing, but you're misusing scripture because you're supposed to do it not out of necessity. And if you do it because you have to, then it's out of necessity. And God didn't want that. He wants you giving because you want to. He says this, for God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you proud because you give 10% and other people don't. He doesn't want you arrogant about what you give. He wants you cheerful. So give what you can give and be cheerful. For God is able to make grace abound towards you, that you, get this, this is is why God wants grace to abound towards you. This is why God wants to give back to you. This verse tells us why God's giving to you, all right, when you give. When you give, he gives back to you. This tells us why. It says that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Why is he giving back to you? So you will always have an abundance for every good work. He wants you to be a conduit that you can give to the people around you. And he gives back to you so you can do it again. And he gives back to you so you can do it again. He gives back to you so you can do it again. And you become a blessing to people like God is a blessing to you. Now, just a couple more passages and we'll be done. Should be done now. Hebrews 13, 16. Uh, But do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. When you do good and you share, God loves that sacrifice. And finally, contentment is the key. Two verses, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. This concept is what is missing from the prosperity movement. They do not teach people to be content. They stir up covetousness in the hearts of people when they're telling them that God wants them rich. And the more they give, the more they're going to get. That's covetousness. And I love that the Bible tells us to be content. Look, be content with what you have. What do you have? You say, I don't have much. Be content. There's something about it. When I, when I teach on contentment, it's, it's I, I noticed it last time while I was teaching on it. I get a content feeling when I'm reading the passages on contentment. Like, yeah, I heard John MacArthur say one time, I could live in a shack as long as the right people were with me in that shack. That's contentment that we would be content in whatever God has given. Along the lines of contentment, listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 5 and 6. Useless wrangling of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. These are useless wrangling. I'm not even sure what wrangling is. I'm not even sure if it's proper to say useless wrangling of men or useless wranglings of men. Just things I think about when I'm looking at a passage. Useless wrangling of men of corrupt minds destitute of the truth. These are not nice people. They're useless wranglers. I guess they're out wrangling cattle and they're do bad at it. They're useless wranglers. They're corrupt in their minds and they're destitute of the truth. Who are these people? Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. The more godly you are, the more faith you have, the richer you're going to be. They are useless wranglers of men of corrupt mind and destitute of the truth. That's what the word says. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. For from such withdraw yourself. Stop buying their books. Stop watching their their shows. Stop clicking the like buttons on social media. Withdraw yourself from them. But you say, but I've been spoken to by them, but they've really encouraged me. They really helped me. They're useless wranglings of men with corrupt minds that are destitute of the truth. Withdraw yourself from them. And then it says, for for such, um, now godliness, this is a statement at the end of this verse. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. They teach godliness as a means of financial gain. Withdraw yourself from them. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And you know, he's not talking about just money. He's talking about so much more in the way that your life can be abundant. Do you think that just having money is how God's going to make your life abundant? Or do you think there's so many more ways that we need abundancy in our lives as we do the things that God's called us to do? I think that this widow... This poor widow out of her poverty, putting money into the treasury is a message that we don't become like the temple and enrich ourselves off the poor. And churches do do this. They set up ways to be able to take people's estates. I talked about this, I think, in last week's study. They set up ways to be able to take people's estate from their children. They they give estate planning at the church. So you come in and you talk to them and they're like, would you like to give any of your estate to the church? And sometimes they give it all. And how do you think the children feel about the church or Christ when the will is read and the church got everything? You think this pleases God at all? Do you think this is what God wanted from the church at all? There's more things that take place like that, unfortunately, and we stay away from them. Three things in closing, three quick things. Number one, when we are generous, we are like our Father in heaven. He is generous, and when we are generous, we are like Him. Number two, generosity and greediness are barometers for the rest of your life. If you are generous with your finances, then you are going to be generous in every other way. If you are greedy and narcissistic and selfish in your, with your money, you're going to be greedy and narcissistic and selfish in other parts of your life. And by the way, generosity and greediness sound just like what the words mean. You can't make uh, generosity sound bad. You're so full of generosity. <laughs> Such a generous person, I can't stand it. You can't make generosity sound bad. And you can't make greediness sound good. You're so greedy. You're greedy, greedy, greedy. You're greedy. I love how greedy you are. You you can't make it sound good. Greedy just sounds greedy. And generosity just sounds generous. And finally, God wants you to prosper so you can bless others. God wants you to prosper and have the abundant life in contentment. And let's reject these teachings that teach otherwise. And not allow someone from a pulpit to inflict greed. But instead, let's be those that help others. That support the weak. Because that's why God has us here. To make that difference. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the direction that we receive from your word. And help us, Lord, that we might be able to help those around us that we see that are in need. And that we would indeed do these things. Sell what we have and give alms. That we would make sacrifices, not because we can't afford it, but because we're making sacrifices for things that we could normally do. And Lord, may we get our finances together now so that in the future, we can be that generous person that we're supposed to be. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.